Okay, good evening everyone. Welcome to our evening Dhamma session. So on Sunday, we had a big celebration of the Buddha's birthday in Mississauga. And it's quite impressive every year all the different Buddhist communities come out and put on costumes, traditional costumes and um, have a parade and chanting and cultural displays, tents, tents displaying, uh, promoting the, all the many different Buddhist organizations around. And uh, so last year I, I submitted a, a cultural display or a, an exhibition part of the show and I just put down meditation because it seemed to me that well, as I said when I got up on stage I forgot about it and when I finally saw the program I saw that I was on, on in the program I thought there'd been a mistake so after all those dancing groups and here I was in line got up on stage sat there in front of, oh, it was maybe a thousand, couple thousand people. Maybe a thousand, probably not more. Maybe less. And uh, I just taught a little meditation. The What I said was, you know, when the Buddha passed away, before he passed away, all the angels from all over the universe came down and uh, brought with them flowers from heaven. Now, heavenly flowers are not like human, like flowers from the human world. Their beauty is, of course, beyond anything that we have here, and they scattered them throughout the forest. This is what the legends say. And uh, the Buddha saw this, and he said, he thought to himself, this isn't well, he said to Ananda, he said, "This isn't how you. This isn't how you honor someone. This isn't how you honor a Buddha." And the commentary, there's this one commentary that says, what the Buddha was thinking was, "Yavahi imajata so parisa." For as long as my fourfold uh, followers, so monks and nuns and Laymen and laywomen. Mami Maya Patipati Punjaya Pujisanti. As long as they pay homage to me through the homage of practice. Patipati Puja. Tawa Mamasasanang Napatmaji Punachando Yiva Virojisati. We Rojisati will shine will shine light on this world. We'll continue to shine. Just like the full moon 
in the middle of the sky shines on the earth so when we talk about paying homage to the Buddha which is something we talk about and something we think about I mean one of the there's many reasons for that one is simply because of what a beautiful and pure person he was you know, if you have a chance to read his teachings or even read about his life, it's it's quite remarkable the uh, the depth of his renunciation, his compassion, his dedication to truth, his dedication to peace, and to bringing peace to the earth. But mostly, we pay respect because we've. Through our practice, we've uh, we've come to appreciate what he's given to us, what he's done for us, and by paying homage to him, it's such a an affirmation of what a good thing we found. So th this uh, expression of gratitude, and so of course. For fame, for any as with any famous person, there's always many, many people who come and pay homage to him. And the Buddha was concerned that before he passed away, people should be uh, clear that it wasn't through flowers or candles or incense or bowing down or doing chanting or any of this that one truly pays homage to him. He said through practicing the Dhamma. Whatever, whatever person, doesn't matter if they're a monk or a nun or an ordinary man, ordinary woman, whoever practices the Dhamma in line with the Dhamma, to realize the Dhamma, such a person pays the proper respect and homage to the Buddha. There was a story of uh, this monk who like to look at the Buddha. He liked to follow the Buddha around and was just in great bliss because the Buddha was quite beautiful apparently. And so uh, this monk, Wakali, he liked to walk around after the Buddha and wherever the Buddha was he would just sit there and stare at the Buddha. He was kind of infatuated or well, he was very happy to see the Buddha. It gave him great bliss. And the Buddha saw, well, this isn't the way. He's not going to become enlightened this way. And so the Buddha said to him, famous words, he said, Yoko Vakali Dhammang Pasati Solmang Pasati. Or something like that. I can't remember the exact Pali. But Whoever sees the Dhamma sees me. That's basically what he said. So we, it always comes back to the Dhamma or the Dharma. And so this is what I talked about on Sunday. I said, I'd like to share with you a little bit of Dharma. Five Dharmas for us to reflect upon. And I think this is a, I mean, it's a really useful thing for all of us to hear. And those of you who are coming to the end of your course, as well as those of you who have maybe never practiced meditation. 
remember what it is we're practicing. What is what is the Dharma? Well, the Dharma is reality. Dharma in this sense means something that really exists. Dhar means to hold, so it holds an existence, unlike imagination, which doesn't actually hold anything. When you think about uh, a dragon or you think about the Easter Bunny, these have no, they don't hold any reality. They don't hold up in reality. Dhar, this is the word. Whereas a dharma is truly real. Real in what sense? Well, real in the sense that you can experience it. So what are the dharmas, these five dharmas? They're adapted from the four satipatthana, but let's just talk about them as the five dharmas. The first one is the body. So you can try this. Close your eyes and reflect on your body. There is physical reality there is the hardness and the softness of the seat that you're sitting on that's a feeling there's the heat and the cold in the room around you there's tension in your back and in your legs maybe tension in your head this is all physical So the Buddha taught us to be mindful if you're sitting, to say to yourself, sitting, sitting. If you're standing, say standing, standing or walking, walking, lying, lying. Or however your body is deported. And we do this, we practice meditation in order to be, in order to stay close to reality. As we do that, our minds are going to stay with the body and you're going to learn about reality it sounds kind of banal I think if you've never practiced meditation you don't realize the significance of doing that first of all how challenging it is but second of all how important that challenge is how much you learn about yourself when you do just that when you look at the body because with the body you see all these other realities, right? The second reality is the feelings. So you start to see pain and you'll see happiness, so you'll see calm. Some people feel very calm when they meditate. Some people feel a lot of pain when they meditate. You'll see all this. And pain like the body or feelings, happiness like the body, all these feelings they teach you about yourself you get to see how you react to feelings you get to see how you interact with feelings when you focus on the pain and say pain, pain you're learning about feelings and therefore you're learning about yourself and how you relate to the feelings The third reality is the mind. So as you focus on the body and the feelings, you're also going to real notice that you're thinking. You'll notice your thoughts more clearly, thoughts about the past or future or thoughts about the present or thoughts of imagination. 
you'll see them clearly. You'll be able to watch them, you'll be able to learn about them. What do we think about? How often do we think? How long do we think? How obsessed we get in thoughts? How we react to our thoughts? How we react to our memories? All the memories that come up when you meditate, how we react to them. You'll start to see this. You'll see relationships between the dharmas. The fourth reality is is our our reactions, our emotions, not just our reactions, but our mind state. So, liking and disliking these are reactions, but um, well, boredom, sadness, fear, depression, frustration. And on the other side, desire. Wishfulness, loneliness, pining away over things. And then there's drowsiness and distraction and doubt and confusion and worry and all those. And these are all real. These are very important. The most remarkable thing about the meditation is how it works to free you from these. How it works to sort out your emotions, sort out your mind states so that if you're worried and if you get good and and learn the ins and outs of your mind just saying to yourself worried worried and thinking about acknowledging the thinking about whatever's making you worried and so on you work it out you're able to free yourself from the worry from the stress from boredom sadness fear anxiety depression, even addiction, just by being mindful, not even by trying to fix anything. And the greatness of the of reality is that when you see it, when you see it, you free yourself from the power it has over you. You free yourself from all the suffering that comes from ignorance. Right? That's really the major quality of ignorance is that it makes you suffer. Because of course no one wants to suffer, so if you actually knew the truth, you would never suffer. It's the brilliance of it. Is that no one else makes us suffer. We cause ourselves suffering. And the fifth dharma is, uh, is the senses, seeing, hearing, Smelling, tasting, feeling. This is the outside, the external. The rest of them are mostly internal. But the doors to the external are the senses. So this is where we easily get lost. As soon as you open your eyes, your mind is leaping out through your eyes into all the ex things that you experience. So we use mindfulness as a guard, mindfulness as a doorkeeper. And you see, say to yourself, seeing, seeing, hearing, hearing, smelling, smelling, tasting, so on. And you learn about 
the reality of your own experience. Learn everything you need to know about the universe. It's quite remarkable. Yodhammang pasati, somang pasati. You see the Buddha. You come to see see Nibbana. You see the Buddha. And you pay the highest homage, the highest tribute, the highest respect. And and I mean What's I suppose most important about that is that you feel reassured that people like the Buddha are really, this is, you know, people as wise as that praised that which you're doing now. And you feel kind of uh, low about yourself or feeling inadequate. You can, you can be reassured and proud or confident, encouraged by the fact that what you're doing was praised by the Buddha. What you're doing is what the Buddha taught us to do, not to do all these religious ceremonies with flowers and candles and incense. That's all fine, but it's not really, well, it's not at all what the Buddha taught us to do. The Buddha said the best way to pay respect is through the Dhamma. And the best way to be sure you're doing the right thing. After I gave the talk, someone came from one of the Chinese monasteries, I think, and he invited me. They want me to go to their monastery and teach meditation. And he said, I learned so much. I'd only, I was only up there for less than five minutes, I think, maybe five minutes. And he said, oh, I learned so much. It was quite interesting. The Dharma is not something hard to teach. It's not hard, something hard to understand. But we get we get lost and sidetracked, and you know, so much of what we call Buddhism is just uh, fluff. I think it's really great, um, you know, by doing this, and we set up a meditation tent. Now there's copycats. People are stealing the idea, or uh, we have competition. There's apparently another, there was, on Sunday there was another meditation tent teaching loving-kindness. Apparently meditations, be, and all the monasteries are now calling themselves meditation centers. I'm not the only one, it's not copying me, but there's been several, you know, it's, it's, it's picking up the pace. Um, more and more centers practicing mindfulness and everybody else scrambling to get into it. All because, really, all because the Buddha was so clear. And I think right before he passed away, the fact that he was so clear about this was you know, very important. And because of the greatness of what he taught and how we can still realize it today. So there you go, a little bit of Dharma for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. Have a good night.